0: So if you've closed your Bibles, please open them up again to page 1002. Well, today's Sunday. Tomorrow's Monday again. You're back to work or school or taking the kids to school. What gets you through the week? Is it the thought of Saturday? You long for the rest that comes on weekends. But is still six days away. So you set your eyes on Wednesday, hump day. Wednesday comes and goes, you're over the hump. But Saturday still three days away. So you set your eyes on Friday, the one before Saturday. Friday comes and goes, you've made it through, congratulations. You leave the alarm off and you enjoy your Saturday sleeping. Unless, of course, you have kids, in which case you never left work and you're already awake. But weekends never go for long, do they? It's already Sunday, and tomorrow's Monday. We long for rest, we long for weekends and for holidays, but as soon as it comes, it always goes. It never truly satisfies. Is there such a thing as true everlasting rest? The passage we read today, Hebrews 4, is all about rest. It's about God's offer of rest. And my aim today is very simple. I want to show you that God's rest is something you don't want to miss out on. I want to convince you, and I want to urge you to enter God's rest. And so there are three points I want to make, and they're printed on your outline. The promise of rest, the picture of rest, and the perseverance before rest. But first, the promise of rest. Chapter 4, verse 1 starts with the word, therefore. The word, therefore, tells us that this passage is drawing a conclusion to what was said in chapter 3. In chapter 3, the writer warned about the dangers of unbelief by pointing to the example of Israel. They saw God's mighty works in rescuing them out of Egypt. They saw the plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, the miraculous provision of food and water in the desert. They saw all this, but they still refused to trust God's word. And so that generation of Israelites didn't enter God's rest. Chapter 3, verse 19, the verse before. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, chapter 4, verse 1, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Look at verse 11 as well. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. In other words, the writer's conclusion is, God's rest is still on offer, so make sure you don't miss out. Make sure you don't miss out. It's like those ads you get in your inbox. Or when you go to the shopping center, you see those ads that say, offer ends soon, don't miss out. Click on it and go to the site. Don't miss out on the offer. The difference, of course, is that God isn't trying to sell you something you don't need He's offering something you're longing for deep inside. Make sure you don't miss out because God's rest is still on offer. But what about Joshua chapter 21? Turn to Joshua 21, verse 43. You can find that on page 196. Turn to Joshua 21, and I want you to notice as I read this passage, these two verses, how the land is described. Joshua 21, verse 43. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there, and the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. How is the land described? It's described as rest. Joshua 21 clearly tells us that God gave Israel rest when he brought them into the land. So you ask me, how can God's rest still be on offer? Well, it's still on offer because the land isn't the final rest. And the writer of Hebrews points to another part of the Old Testament to to prove this. Turn back to Hebrews 4. In Hebrews 4, he uses Psalm 95 to show that there's still another rest to come. Verse 6. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Psalm 95 was written by David while Israel was living in the land hundreds of years after Moses and Joshua. And David wrote this psalm to warn the people in his day not to harden their hearts so that they might enter God's rest. Which means that God's rest can't be the land because Israel was already living in the land. And so the land isn't the final rest. There's another rest to come, a greater rest, Verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. God's rest is still on offer. Make sure you don't miss out. But if it's not the land, what's God's future rest like then? Second point, the picture of rest We see that God's future rest is like looking back to God's creation rest. Look at verse 3. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. The writer of Hebrews takes us all the way back to the first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter two verse two, to show us that God's rest began from the foundation of the world, because God created the world in six days, and then He rested on the seventh. Now there are two things I want you to notice about God's creation, rest. First, God didn't rest because he was tired. Listen carefully to Genesis chapter 2 again, but this time I'm going to read from verse 1. Listen carefully. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God had finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Why did God rest? God rested because his work was finished not because he was tired from taekwondo or riding his bike or from lifting or from doing 100 push-ups. God was finished with his work. His creation was completed. Like an artist who puts down his paintbrush to enjoy his completed painting, or a, or a carpenter who puts down his tools to enjoy his cabinetry. God rested because he was enjoying his finished work of creation. And so the picture of God's rest that we get from creation is of a completed and perfect world. Second, God's rest doesn't mean he's doing nothing. That's how we often think of rest, isn't it? If you're in growth groups and you went through the study, there was a question that said, what do you like to do for rest? 90% of our group, the first answer was watching TV. That's how we often think of rest, isn't it? Like taking a nap or watching TV, lying at the beach, maybe not even having the kids around. That's rest. But listen to what the Bible says about God and his creation. Hebrews 1, as you already know, tells us that God created the world through his Son and that through his Son, God upholds the universe by the word of his power. And Colossians 1 says that in him all things hold together. In other words, even after God had finished his work of creation and he was resting on the seventh day, God was still actively involved. He was actively involved in sustaining his world. The rest of Genesis 2 shows us that God made us to share in this creation rest. In the garden, God spoke with his people. God walked among his people. God invited them to care for his world and to explore it. That's not a picture of doing nothing. That's a picture of God and his people enjoying his perfect world together. That's a picture of true satisfaction. So what happened to God's creation rest? Well, we lost it because of our sin. We lost it because we rejected God as the one who created us and as the one who rightly rules over our lives. We lost it, but Jesus restored it. Because through his death and resurrection, he dealt with the punishment for our sin and he offers us God's rest in the new creation. And the new creation rest will be like the first. Verse 10, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, as God did from his. God and his people will once again enjoy his perfect world together, but this time for all eternity. But Hebrews 4 also describes God's future rest as a Sabbath rest. Look at verse 9. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. The Sabbath was the weekly day of rest for God's people. Have you ever watched the show The Block on Channel 9? You know when the week comes to an end and the contestants have done all their work in creating their new rooms and Scotty comes on site and he does his whistle and he says, tools down. The Sabbath was the day of the week when the Israelites put their tools down and stopped work. Now, the Sabbath command, you might know, is given twice in the Old Testament. And each time has a different reason. The first time is given in Exodus chapter 20, after God rescued Israel out of Egypt. Here, the Sabbath command is based on creation. Israel was to rest on the seventh day because God rested on the seventh day of creation. The Sabbath command is given again in Deuteronomy chapter 5 as the people prepare to enter the promised land. But this time, the Sabbath command is based on redemption. Israel was to rest on the seventh day because God had rescued them out of slavery to enjoy freedom and rest in the land. So in other words, the Sabbath was a day for the people of Israel to rest from their work, tools down, to rejoice and to celebrate God's work in creation and redemption. But in what sense does there remain a Sabbath rest for the people of God in verse 9? We had a great discussion about this in my growth group. And if you're not in a growth group, you should join one. In our growth group, we looked at the passage Uh, first, which means that as we come on Sunday, it's fresh in our heads and we have our questions boiling. It also meant that they pretty much prepared this sermon for me. That's why I love my growth group, amongst other reasons, of course. Is the Sabbath rest referring to the future or the present? Is the Sabbath rest referring to the future rest? I mean, it certainly fits the context. Look at verse 8. Verse 8 has just said there's another day So then verse 9, there remains a Sabbath rest to come. Or is the Sabbath rest referring to Sabbath keeping now? Look at verse 8 again. There's another day, so then verse 9, there remains a Sabbath rest now. That is, there remains an obligation for us to keep the Sabbath now. Which one is it? You could read both ways in the passage. So, which one is it? Well, I'm going to suggest that when we get stuck on a verse, it's time to zoom out a bit. Let's zoom out and consider the wider teaching of the New Testament and of the whole Bible. We know from the Old Testament that the Sabbath was given to Israel under the law of Moses, the Old Covenant. But we also know that Jesus' death and resurrection has inaugurated the New Covenant. As believers in Jesus Christ, we belong to the new covenant. And so we're not required to keep the commands of the old covenant, which included the Sabbath command. We're free from the law because of Christ. But having said that, our freedom in Christ isn't an excuse for us to ignore the wisdom and the goodness of God's laws in the Old Testament because remember why God gave the Sabbath command. It was a day for the people to put down their tools, to rest from their work, and to celebrate God's work in creation and redemption. God knew that their hearts were prone to wonder, and he gave them the Sabbath as a constant reminder that he was their creator and redeemer. You and I don't need to keep the Sabbath, but aren't our hearts just as prone to wander? We don't need to stop work on a particular set day of the week, but wouldn't regular rest be good for our souls? To remind us that there is more to life than this world, that there is more to life than our work, to remind us that, verse 9, there remains a future Sabbath rest for the people of God. God's future rest is described like this, like a Sabbath rest, because on that day, we'll put down our tools and we'll rest from the toil and struggle of this world. And on that day, we will celebrate God as our creator and redeemer. We'll enjoy with God the satisfaction and the perfection of his new world for all eternity. This is the picture of God's future rest. That's not something you want to miss out on, is it? Which brings us to the third point the perseverance before God's rest. Now, I wonder as we read verses 9 and 10, did you pick up attention in the verse? On the one hand, God's rest is clearly future. We've already established that. We've already seen how verse 9 is pointing to the future as the Sabbath rest. And yet it seems that God's rest is also present. Look at verse 10 again. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. The same tension runs throughout the passage. Look at verse 1. Verse 1, we haven't reached God's rest yet. The promise of entering still stands. But then verse 3 says that we who have believed enter, present tense, that rest. So is God's rest now or not yet? It's both. This tension of now but not yet is present throughout the New Testament because Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has made, us pos- has made it possible for us to enjoy certain blessings of God's rest now by faith. And yet we await for Jesus to bring the full reality of God's rest in the new creation when he returns. Already, we experience God's presence through the indwelling of his Spirit but we await to experience the fullness of God's presence in the new creation. Already, we've been giving new life in the Spirit, but we await the redemption of our bodies at the resurrection. Already, we have fellowship with God and his people. Just look around the room. But we await for our fellowship to be perfected. It's like when you take time off work, to go on an overseas holiday perhaps, but there's a few days before your flight. You're already on holiday, but you're still waiting to arrive at your holiday destination. You enjoy sleeping, but you're still waiting to wake up to that ocean view. You enjoy brunch at the local cafe, but you're still waiting to stuff yourself at that all-you-can-eat buffet. Your holiday is now, but it's also not yet. God's rest is now, Believers enter God's rest by faith in Jesus. But God's rest is also not yet. We await the fullness of God's rest to come in the new creation, and therefore we must persevere to the end. Verse 1 While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. What exactly are we to fear? Where if chapter 3 warns us about the dangers of unbelief, and chapter 4 is the conclusion to chapter 3, then what we are to fear is unbelief. We are to fear unbelief because that is the thing that will stop us from entering God's rest at the end. And verse 2 goes on to confirm this. Notice that verse 2 starts with for. See these little words like therefore and for. They're pretty important, aren't they? Four gives us the reason for verse 1. Fear unbelief Four, because good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. You see, the writer compares our situation to Israel's situation in the desert, because just as we have received good news, they received good news. They received the promise of entering God's rest, the promise that God was going to drive out all their enemies and bring them into the land that flowed with milk and honey. But was it any use? No. Because they didn't believe the good news, they didn't trust God's promise, and so they didn't enter God's rest you and me have received good news, great news, the good news of the gospel that God allows us to enter his eternal Sabbath rest through faith in Jesus. But you and I will not enter if we don't believe the gospel, if we don't trust God's promise, because simply knowing the gospel isn't enough. You might have grown up in a Christian home And you have heard the gospel all your life, but have you believed it? You might come from a culture which has strong Christian traditions. Maybe your country from overseas calls themselves a Christian country, but have you believed the gospel? You might have gone to scripture classes or you go to a Christian school and you heard the gospel from school, but have you believed it? You might have heard the gospel from that very annoying Christian friend of yours, but have you believed it? You might have come to church for many times and you heard the gospel preached from this very spot, but have you believed it? It may be your first time hearing the gospel today. Are you going to believe it? Fear unbelief, because that is what will keep you from entering God's rest. And strive to enter. Verse 11. Strive to enter so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Striving to enter means to keep obeying God. Unlike Israel who fell by their disobedience. Now let's be clear. The writer of Hebrews isn't saying you can earn your way into God's rest. Look at verse 16 for example. We only draw near God's throne through Jesus, our sinless high priest. But what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that you and I have a responsibility to keep going. To keep responding to God in obedience. Because true faith is expressed in obedience. You can't separate the two. The nature of faith is that it obeys. Have you heard the story about Charles Blondin? Blondin was a famous tightrope walker. He's best known for crossing the gorge below a Niagara Falls on a tightrope, over 300 metres long, 50 metres above the water. Large crowds came to watch Blondin and Blondin will always begin his act with a very simple crossing using a balancing pole. Then he would throw away the pole and then he would amaze everyone by walking across without it. On one occasion he crossed with stilts On another occasion, blindfolded. One time he stopped midway to cook and eat an omelette. A royal party from England came to watch Blondin perform one day. Now after his normal crossings, he he rolled a wheelbarrow across. He put a sack of potatoes into the wheelbarrow and he wheeled that across. Then he approached the royal party and he asked the Duke of Newcastle, Do you believe that I can take a man across the tightrope in this wheelbarrow. Oh, yes, I do. Hop in, then. The Duke wouldn't accept Blondin's challenge. Is there anyone else who believes that I can do it? No one else was willing to volunteer. Eventually, an old woman stepped out of the crowd and climbed into the wheelbarrow. And Blondin willed her all the way across and all the way back. Can you guess who that old woman was? His mum. The only person willing to put her life in his hands. Faith isn't just saying the words, I believe. Faith is saying, I believe. And getting into that wheelbarrow. And true faith in God is expressed in obedience to his words. If you profess faith in Jesus, do you strive to obey God's word? Have you climbed into the wheelbarrow? Or are you worried about what the crowd will think of you? People are going to think I'm stupid for climbing in, for living God's way. Or maybe you're just content to follow the crowd. Well, no one else is getting in, so I'm not going to get in too. What's stopping you from climbing into the wheelbarrow? The writer of Hebrews urges us to obey God's word. For, there's that word again, for, verse 12, because the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature, is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Is that just not the most frightening picture? The word of God is like a sword that cuts you open and it penetrates to the deepest places of your being. It cuts past all the defenses that you might try to put up. The mask we put on when we go on Facebook. The mask we put on when we head to work. The mask we held on put on when we're around our friends. The mask we put on when we go to church. The word of God cuts right past all this junk. And he judges, and it judges, the very thoughts and intentions of our hearts. The word of God exposes us for who we really are on the inside. Indeed, to be confronted by the word of God is to be confronted by God Himself. No creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. Disobedience does not escape God's judgment. There's no escaping, there's no hiding. So, what will you choose? Will you stand naked before the word of God that judges? Or will you trust in the word of God's promise? For the, word of, for the promise of God's word is the gospel. The offer of God's Sabbath rest in the new creation. So keep on trusting God's word and make sure that you don't Miss out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you offer us your rest. A rest we lost, but was won back by the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can enter into your rest through faith in him. But we know that that rest is still to come And so we pray that you might help us to persevere by trusting your word and obeying it. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.